to another Dishcast. This one I'm, I'm really super psyched about. Uh, it's a subject I've been tackling, and you know, at the Dishcast, we're going to do and have planned every now and again a real discussion of the trans issue. I'm not allowed to say the trans question, apparently, because it means I'm a Nazi. If I, if I, if I use that expression, literally, that's what happened. Um, uh, and so I thought one of the things that we don't get to hear are genuine experiences from not necessarily political people, but regular people who have had different, different experiences and different outlooks and different perspectives on the experience of being trans, because you tend to get this image from the mainstream media that there's one position in the LBGTQP, LMSQ community. There's no divide. There's no issues and no debate, no questioning. Either you're a bigot or you're a pro-gay, pro-LGBT, pro-T or whatever. And it's boring because, in fact, the world is more interesting and the whatever we want to call it, the LGBTQ plus community is a bunch of human beings who have different ideas and thoughts and experiences and, and communicate that. No one's in a an army. Anyway, today the two people I've asked to come on, you know, the first is Helena Kirshner, whom I met a couple of years ago. She came to DC uh, as part of a group of, of detransitioned young women who went to talk to senators and congressmen and various legislative aides, really, um, to kind of raise awareness about this. And I met her and a bunch of others, and we had a really fascinating conversation. Um, she's 22 years old. Um, she underwent she underwent transition, and then came out of it. And she has many experiences. She is actually someone who many, many, many trans activists will tell you does not exist. Well, she does, and to prove it, we're going to talk to her today about her own experiences. Alongside that is someone who transitioned in his twenty in 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 her his twenties. Sorry, yes, it, uh, uh, not that he's particularly fastidious about you getting every tiny piece of grammar pronoun right but his name is buck angel he is he is a uh he's a man who a trans man who uh has been an educator he he's done amazing outreach to trans kids trans adults uh he's been a porn star no less um and he's got a mind and uh, a, a very much personality of his own and I thought having someone who has detransitioned and someone who has successfully transitioned uh, would be an interesting combination. And someone who uh, and now one is a man and one is a woman, and and they're both really fascinating people. I want to start with Helena, if I may. Tell me how absolutely how this came about with you. What point did you feel that maybe there's something wrong and that becoming a different sex or gender would in some ways, be the solution to that quandary that you were in. How old were you? Um, when this first started, I was about 15, uh, maybe a little bit into the later half of my 14th year, but um, really when I firmly embraced the trans label, I was 15. Had you felt these things as a child, or was it, was it, was it after puberty, or was it during puberty? Was there a point at which these thoughts and feelings emerged in your consciousness? So as a child and even um, early into my puberty, I never had what you would think of or diagnose as gender dysphoria. Mm -hmm. um, but I did have a strong sense of alienation from other young girls. Um, I never thought about it as like, it's because I was meant to be a boy. That frame never really crossed into my mind. But 
Um, I did always feel separate and awkward around girls and I preferred male friends. Um, but I also wasn't, I don't think what you would consider a tomboy. Like I, I liked playing with my makeup stuff. I liked my Barbies. I didn't have any strong preference for male typical toys or anything like that. Um, I just, I've always felt a little bit different and that just seemed, that difference seemed stronger um, when I compared myself to girls than boys, but I wouldn't consider that childhood gender dysphoria. I no, I, I, was... I don't think many people would. Um, yeah. It's certainly less than I felt as a, as a kid feeling different than other boys and not quite yeah. knowing where to put that. Um, so when did, yeah. when did the possibility that, that your, your sex was actually the source of, of these anxieties? So it was kind of a gradual process. Um, the way it started out was really after I joined the website Tumblr. Um, for those who don't know, Tumblr is described as a microblogging platform. So you have your little blog where you can write posts, but there's also, it's kind of like a cross between a traditional blog where you write these long form posts and Twitter, where there's shorter posts, pictures and stuff that people just share to their blog. Um, so this platform, allows you a lot of self-expression because of the long form content. Um, but it also allows for like kind of the, the dilution of ideas similar to the way that Twitter does. That's how I would describe it. But anyway, I, I joined Tumblr and at first I was just interested in, you know, my, my interests. I really enjoyed classic rock. So I was blogging about classic rock stars and stuff. I, I loved Elvis and I loved the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that was a pretty small community um, where there wasn't a lot of this like social justice ideology in it uh, because it was one, very small and two, a lot of people had more of an appreciation for older things. Like there was a lot of interest in vintage and stuff like that. Um, but eventually I started branching out into other, what they call fandoms. Um, over things like BBC shows, Harry Potter, that kind of stuff. And these were much larger communities. Mm -hmm. And the social justice stuff was a lot more present there. Mm -hmm. um, so it didn't just start off right off the bat with me identifying as trans. I started absorbing the social justice ideology first. And so I had this, I started developing this frame of mind that everything was privilege and oppression and there's all these classes of people and one of those classes is uh, the class of gender so there are cisgender people and then there is the gender spectrum and that everybody is on this gender spectrum and the sexist society hides the gender spectrum from us because it's oppressive and blah 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 and so I really started internalizing these ideas and my decision, maybe not decision, but the eventual outcome of me identifying with the trans label. At first, I was non-binary. I started with demi-girl, and then I moved to a gender, and then I moved to genderqueer, and then I landed Let's, let's just trans. stop there for our, for our, for our listeners. <laughs> so you, okay, you yeah, started out as a demi-girl. Um, what, yeah. what does that mean? Can, you, can we translate some of these? They're, they're yeah. pretty teenage terms, right? I mean, they, 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 and they've yes. been... That they, they sort of proliferate with these incredibly yeah. fine distinctions between various yes. minute, minute details in gender presentation. So, tell me, the, yes. tell me, demi girl means not half a girl, right? Or is it I, demi? That means 
that if you think about it as a spectrum from girl to boy, and then in between is completely agender, you have no gender. Demi girl is like a nine out of 10 on the girl side. Okay. So you're not a hundred percent a girl, but you're. So then you went to, then you went to agender. You moved down the spectrum or up the Mm -hmm. spectrum (laughs) or along the spectrum. So then you became agender, which means you have no gender at all. Right. You, yeah. You're you're an alien, essentially, for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, then what? Yeah. Then then what? Then you went to. Then I moved to like a gender fluid or I think maybe I even used the word by gender where I flip flopped between male and female okay. uh, or it was gender fluid. I can't quite remember. Maybe were you doing this both, I don't know. by yourself or your friends or peers doing it alongside you? What how was. How did you come up with these terms? For I mean, you must have learned them from the social justice yeah. discourse, right? I definitely learned all of it from Tumblr. My school didn't even have a GSA. Actually, ironically, I founded the GSA at my school, huh. even though now I'm a straight woman. <laughs> but I founded the GSA. GSA means and, a, a, a gay straight alliance normally, uh, right? Except when I founded it, it was the Gender and Sexuality Alliance. Oh, okay. So to include trans people. The word the words um, the words keep <laughs> proliferating. Go on. Change. So anyway, so there you are. So when did you actually decide I've got to do something to my body uh, with respect to this? Yeah, so I remember always being conflicted on the idea of gender dysphoria. So Long before I ever found anything trans, I had already developed some pretty deeply ingrained body image issues. Um, I had a complete obsession with my weight, obsessive criticism over everything about my body, like from, you know, the curve of my nose to the circumference of my finger. Like I was really, really upset. Hmm. And this predictably developed into an eating disorder. Mm. Um, So I already had this strong obsession with and disdain for my body. Mm. And I already kind of blamed all of my problems on my body. Um, And I did have a pretty hard time with puberty. I remember being extremely um, upset and embarrassed, just totally mortified when I started developing breasts to the point where I went out with some cash and I like secretly bought some bras at Walmart and like hid them away. And uh, I remember my mom found them and she was like, oh, when did you buy bras? And I like cried and was so upset and so embarrassed. Um, so I had a hard time with puberty for sure. And my body just becoming more feminine, I guess. Um, but still never from the perspective of like, I wish I had a male body. Um, and then as I kind of started going down this gender spectrum from girl to demigirl to agender, blah, 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 with every step, I kind of turned up the dial on how much of my body image issues started being focused on wanting to be more androgynous or wanting to be more masculine. Um, I started really kind of focusing like all of the problems that I had with my weight before they stopped being just about my weight. And they started being more about how my fat or the curves of my body made me less masculine. Um, Mm. And just as I went down that spectrum, that intensified until Mm. the point after like two years when I started fully identifying as a trans man. Um, at that point, I hated my female body and I wanted a masculine male body. So at that point, what did you do? Um, at that point, so I think did I, you go to a doctor? I ident- 
Um, I went to Planned Parenthood. Okay. Yeah. Um, and at the time, the Planned Parenthoods in my area didn't offer um, the hormone services. Now that most of them do, I I think all of them do, if not almost all. But at the time, um, the closest one was in a city like five hours away. Um, so I pretty much a week or two after I turned 18, as soon as I could, I made an appointment and I went up there and I, it was a one hour appointment. There was a social worker who talked to me for about half an hour. Um, and I have screenshots or I have pictures of my medical records where they show all the questions that this social worker asked of me and all of my replies. And they're pretty ridiculous when you read them. It's like, it's so obvious that I'm a, a troubled girl. Um, but yeah, so the social worker talked to me for about 30 minutes and then she okayed me for testosterone. And then I went and talked to the nurse practitioner and the nurse practitioner okayed me for testosterone and they didn't even do any blood work. Um, I got my testosterone the day of, I got my first injection the day of, I also have medical records to prove this, that they did not do any blood work to see what kind of dose would work for me. They didn't do any blood work to see if I had any, you know, pre-existing conditions that might be recognizable in my blood or in my hormones or anything like that. They just told me that since I seemed so sure and that I'm relatively healthy and I don't have any family history of medical problems or PCOS or anything like that, um, that they were going to prescribe me my hormones. So they handed me my prescription. I went to the CVS across the street. I returned and they showed me how to do my injection and they sent me on my way with that three months of supply of testosterone. Wow. So when we hear that none of this happens without extensive counseling, without extensive vetting. Uh, none of that, no. And this is what, I mean, it really frustrates me because I am told as a matter of certainty that this never happens. And yet I keep coming across people for whom it happened. Now, here's, here's what I want to ask you about Planned Parenthood. You can't know what's in their minds, obviously, but why do you think there was this rush, really? I mean, this, 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 I mean presumably it was well-intentioned. Uh, they saw someone who seemed to be trans, and they sought to treat that person immediately. Yeah. I think that there's an ideology um, in, like, the gender, healthcare, worker, medical professional sphere. And actually, there's a really great piece about this by a detransitioned woman named Carrie Callahan. Um, I can try to send you the link or something and you can add it to the, we'll, the show we'll notes. It, we'll put it on the works. show notes, yeah. Yeah, um, where she describes how when she was a trans man, um, she worked at a gender clinic in Chicago. And if you know anything about Chicago, very progressive, very gender ideology. They're, you know, gender clinics, they very much fall in line with kind of the ideology. And she describes how there was just a very total view that transition is life-saving. And anyone who wants it, to deny them that for any period of time or for any reason is to jeopardize their life. And that these are absolutely 100% necessary. And I think in a lot of these practitioners, they kind of uh, they have a bit of a savior complex where they feel like they are a part of something. They're part of something big. They're very emotionally invested in this. And it's it it makes it even more intense because it's so black and white. Right. That like, 
all you need to do to save these people's lives. There's no complexity. There's no nuance. There's no need to really dive into the research and see people as individuals. All you need to do to literally prevent people from dying on mass is hand out these Right. And obviously that comes from a place of good intentions. It, 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 they're mm-hmm. not deliberately trying to harm people, but they really genuinely believe that as, as – and, and you were 18, so you were, you were a grown-up. I mean, not mm-hmm. that grown-up, but you were just legal age. Yeah. Um, so you yeah. could consent to sex, So I mean, and you can vote. So at that point uh, – but still, you think you made the wrong call too quickly, too easily. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, what concerns me is that when we're dealing with kids who are 10 or 11 or 12, their capacity to make a decision like this uh, – who haven't even begun to be 18 or is is inevitably yeah. going to be somewhat constrained or uh, in some ways confusing. Um, uh, yeah. Tell me how, and then we'll, then we'll get to Buck. Uh, I don't want to leave him out, but I want to get, I want to get the nuances here and Buck will give you plenty of time to talk about your nuances too. Um, so, so then you're done, you're a man and you've got your tea. Uh, tell me how that felt. What, what is, testosterone feel like for someone who's never I want to talk to Buck about this too but what does it feel like? I had a tiny little insight into this because I because of my HIV I had low testosterone levels and they went really mm-hmm. down the toilet and I was depressed and couldn't really and, and they put me on testosterone and I wrote all essay about it um, uh, mm-hmm. and I was fascinated by the effect it had on me it was kind of a a real eye-opener about the power of hormones to me, which for most people just exist as background noise in their lives. Yeah. They, don't, they don't really feel them. They're just there. And, and, and of course, in, in adolescence, we feel them very powerfully because they hit us. Mm-hmm. And our, our brains and our bodies are all in this massive turmoil for a while. Um, but tell me how you, what the process was by which you realized this wasn't right for you. Tell me, first of all, how it felt and tell me how that, then developed so i think i had as far as i can tell a pretty abnormal reaction to testosterone i've never yet spoken to anyone who has who had as intense of a reaction as i did but um so it started out kind of what you'd expect um so i my sex drive went up a lot like nothing that i was ever used to before before I had a pretty low to average sex drive, I feel like for a woman. Um, but on testosterone, it was like just super crazy and very uncomfortable. Yeah. Totally didn't expect that. Yeah. Um, and then um, I what, when you say that sex hurt. drive, what did you what did you what did you want to do? I mean, what what were you? Was it men? Was it women? Who who were you attract? Who were you horny for? Yeah, I've always been attracted to like biological men. Um, but at the time when this was happening, I was so I was very under the influence of like gender ideology and I could write essays about how biological sex isn't real. Like that's where I was at. And so I ended up getting into a relationship with a trans man who passed very well and looked very male. And you know, if you she's detransitioned now, but if you were to have looked at her. It was very, she lived in a so male So she's dorm. another detransitioner. De- yeah, yeah. Um, 
but I got into a relationship with her and I was attracted to her, but I don't think I would have been able to like be intimate with her if not for the testosterone, Mm. because at the end of the day, I feel no attraction to female genitals now. And I never did before testosterone, but on testesterone, like anything sexual at all would turn me on. Like it didn't matter if it was men or women. I remember two days after my shot. Two days after my shot, when it was peaking, that I, I, small animals would run away from me because I, 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 I would have, I would have fucked a tree at that point, and yeah, and it, 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 it's, and and then suddenly, of course, then you have this like flashing insight into male and female sexuality. You're like, oh, right. I wonder why men and women don't quite get along all the time, or why there's an imbalance yeah. between people's sexual desires, or why women are often feel like they're being attacked, That's or right. or men don't understand why their motives are being. The great thing about being gay is that it's an equal playing field. We're both testosterone up the wazoo. And, uh, but but that was another, whoa, male and female are different experiences at some level. And tell me, so when did you start to think, well, maybe this isn't right. Maybe this isn't me. So, so after this initial period where I just got kind of like angry and horny, um, then kind of like the emotional side effects of testosterone kind of started to set in. And I've heard a lot of trans men say the same thing. I don't know, Buck, if you can relate to this, let us know. But um, for me, at least, and for some other trans men that I've talked to on testosterone, your Benjamin Boyce describes it as like your emotional palate. And on testosterone, your emotional palate reduces. And so I just found myself, it was almost like, excruciating the way that I was having all of these intense emotions that I'd always had. Like I was a very emotional and troubled teenager. And then once I started testosterone, it's like all of those emotions just got condensed down into rage. And I was uncontrollably angry and on like, it was like this fire inside of me that was pretty just, I don't know how else to describe it, but painful. And um, to top that off, I stopped being able to cry. So when I would get so overwhelmed that before testosterone, I would be, I would already have been bawling for an hour um, on testosterone. I couldn't cry. I had no outlet other than rage, rage. And I took that rage out on myself um, and I was self injuring a lot. And just, I would, I would, I would have these, I guess, like, mental breakdowns that I never had before testosterone and I have not had since I quit. But I would have these mental breakdowns where like the emotions and the rage would get so much that I would just like, I would completely see just red. I would stop thinking clearly and I would just start like destroying things. I would start hitting myself. I would start cutting myself like not good, not good. I was pretty much a certified crazy person at that point. Um, and I ended up being hospitalized twice. And this was just like a, the worst, the worst case scenario for how testosterone for, can go for a person, I think. Um, and after a year and a half of that shit, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I had already started kind of thinking like, you know, 
for all the years before I started testosterone, when I would look forward into my future and think about what my life would be on, on testosterone, I saw this like amazing life where I could just be free and be myself as a man. And, oh, I can wear tank tops and not have to wear a binder after I get top surgery and like all this kind of stuff. I never envisioned that. I never envisioned the pure misery that I was in. And so that became a point of like cognitive dissonance where on the outside I was saying like oh I'm so happy that I transitioned I'm so glad that at least I'm not as dysphoric or whatever even though I was still pretty dysphoric or I still hated my body um but on the inside I was starting to kind of get really sick of where my life had gone like how deep down into the hole my life had gone um and then one day I had an epiphany where my ex made this uh, video um, that was a montage of photos of us throughout our relationship. And we met pretty much the day after I started tea. So it was like basically a montage of my life on tea up until that point over like a year and a half. And it was in chronological order too. So I was watching these photos and I just watched myself kind of transform from what looked like, you know, a, a slightly like tomboyish, confused, not very happy girl to just like what I saw in my eyes as I looked at, at the pictures, I saw like a total wreck of a human being, just like a very sad, unhappy, damaged human being. And that's just kind of when it finally clicked, the dam broke that like, this was a huge mistake. I've done a lot of damage to myself over the last year and a half. And so I just, I just broke down. I actually did cry that time. And I just cried and cried and cried and cried and cried. And then I just decided that I can't take the testosterone anymore. Um, and I felt very alone, especially because my ex at the time, she was not about it. She was like, no, you're trans. Stop it. Stop being crazy. And yeah. Was there social uh, pressure? It's, it's, I mean, one of the hard things I would imagine is that once you've taken this big step, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of humiliation publicly to say I was wrong. Oh, yes. And oh, there's this yes. huge amount of social psychological pressure not to, not to admit that. I mean, and in public life today, no one admits they got something wrong. It's very hard to do mm -hmm. in general. Um, so it takes a certain amount of courage to admit I was wrong. Um, and did you lose friends? Um, well, at this point, I didn't have any friends. <laughs> right. That's how bad my life was. I was so isolated. Right. So I didn't really have any friends even on Twitter, um, which was the only social media I really used. Like at that point, I only had like 25 followers and these were a couple people from like my college, but I didn't really talk to them that much. I was super isolated using a lot of like weed and alcohol all the time, all day. Um, so I did not lose many friends. Right, right, happen. right. You didn't have many but, to lose. Have you gained more now that you've uh re readjusted to to being yeah. a woman wow yeah totally i i still struggle socially i always have mm. i've always been like a little bit of like a weirdo but yeah. um, I, I think we can all <laughs> we can all understand that <laughs> i think yeah. some of them are a little little awkward um yeah but it's so much better i mean i'm not my life is a million times better than it was back then. But is there anything but permanently I, that's, I mean, because one could say, well, look, you were 18, you made this decision, it turned out wrong, you meant moved on, so what's the big deal? Uh, yeah. How would you uh, 
respond to that kind of uh, thought? So physically, I think I got pretty lucky. Like not everyone can say that. Like I, again, I think I'm a little bit of a special situation. For some reason, the way that testosterone affected my body, it messed up my brain, but it didn't really affect my body. Like I didn't have a lot of fat redistribution. I didn't gain any hair. Like I don't have to shave. I was on it for 17 months. I don't have to shave at all. I gained no hair. Um, my voice only dropped a little bit. Like there are women who have been on it for the same time as me and their voices are a lot deeper. Um, and so, among your friends that I met, I mean, a couple had had much more profound effects in that short yeah. period of time. They, they, were, they yeah. had to keep shaving hair off their, their boobs and uh, yes. chin. Uh, now, what if, if you don't mind my asking, and we're going to ask difficult questions here, what is did your ability to, to have children in any way change because of this? I don't believe so. Okay. So the only change I think that I can see um, or that I can tell with like hormonally after testosterone is that once my period came back, I had much stronger symptoms of PMS. So it's like, and I still deal with this. I'm trying to resolve it. I'm trying to figure out like what's you know causing this. I got my hormones tested and I have like extremely low progesterone, which I didn't have that before the testosterone. So I don't know if that's because of the testosterone. I don't know what the mechanism for that would be. All I know is that once I got my period back, which I started getting my period back while I was still on testosterone. So something okay. was not working for me there. I started like maybe a year into testosterone, I started maybe once every two months or something, I would have a period. That's not supposed to happen. That's right. um, so yeah. I don't know what's up with that. So I do think that there's something maybe going on with my period. Um, did uh, I'm trying to figure it out, but yeah. I, don't, I don't think and I'm you didn't. You didn't do any surgery uh, in that period. No. Okay. No. Well, let's let's go to Buck's story now, because Buck's experience with testosterone has been very different and hugely successful, I think, in terms of your happiness and well-being. So uh, and I, I do think those two things are important to emphasize, that, that people have different responses to That's different right. forms of treatment. Yeah. And, and some people really do benefit greatly from hormone uh, we'll get to the question of, of what age that works at, because that's a, that's a separate question. But, Buck, you were a, a pretty young girl. <laughs> you, were, <laughs> you, were a, you, were you were a girl athlete, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yep. uh, did, you, did you tell me your process of figuring out yeah. I'm not a girl? Well, first, Helena, thank you. I, I'm actually going to cry because it just is not my space. What I'm hearing is what I fight for, that I don't yeah. want this to happen. And yeah. the fact that you have become sort of collateral damage, for lack of a better expression, breaks my heart. And you can see me cry because you should not be going through this. At, at, as a first off 18-year-old young lady and then as a 22-year-old young lady having to deal with that yeah. particular – it just – it does because – so for me, it's saved my life. For me, it's I've never looked back. For me, as a 58-year-old man who transitioned 26 years ago in my 
you know, my late twenties, early thirties, I had the most horrible life. I couldn't even imagine living as a woman now, you know, I did never yeah. feel like a female. I mean, you know, I was a tomboy. I was the kid who had gender dysphoria, but I'm 58. So in the sixties and seventies, we did not talk about this. We talked about being a tomboy. Yeah. We talked about being a gay woman. We talked about, you know, you're just not a boy. You can't be that. My parents, on the other hand, saw me as a boy. And my parents raised yeah. me as Buck. And that was, you know, because I was a tomboy and everybody said, oh, she'll grow out of it. You know, and I always like to say in my talks, I grew into it. Even though everyone was pushing <laughs> against me, I was like, no, ma, so, I'm a dude. No, hold on a minute. So you're growing up in the 60s and 70s and you yep. folks are that sort of welcoming and Progressive. open that, that Progressive. aggressively, aggressively defined you as a boy. Just yes. because of what they infer now, what what made them say that? What made them so? Say I'll tell that? you. I grew up with uh, with three of us, three 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 young ladies. I have an older sister and a younger sister, and I was the middle. But I always was very masculine. I always was that little boy. I always was doing the little boy thing. So my parents just played into it. What's a little Every boy thing? What, what do you what do you mean? Trucks, by Trucks, GI Joe, playing with the boys on the street, skateboarding, climbing trees. While my sisters were playing with the girls and Barbies, and I'm like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I was like playing. They bought me boy toys. They let me dress like a boy. There was only places that I couldn't do it were like if we went to church or we went to a family functions. And that's when I would lose my shit when I had to put on a girl's dress. So my parents started to see this. You know, I, I'm really close with my parents now. And we talk about it all the time because they're seeing all this new transgender stuff. And even my parents are like, wait a minute here. This is not okay. It, you know, I said to them the other day, if I would have had the opportunity to transition as a young kid, would you have done that? And they said, no, they would have never given me hormone blockers. That would never mm -hmm. would have even been the case. They let me just be. And so because they let me just be, I think, honestly, I did go through what you went through, Helena, the puberty space. We all deal with that. Everyone in the world deals with that. It's not mm -hmm. just trans. We all deal with that. So, so that being said, I went through puberty, had a very hard time with that, you know, became alcoholic, drunk drug addict, cutter, all the things, suic two suicide attempts, all of it. And I'm not what, saying- What age were you when this happened? In 16. Your 16 is when I started my my sort of puberty. I was late as a female okay. through puberty. So I was always late. Sorry? Yeah, no, it's interesting. The timing of it does make a difference sometimes. That's um, right. That's because you, right. you can develop mentally in ways that your body isn't. I was a little late too. I was That's uh, right. well into what we would call secondary school in England before it happened. Right. Um, Right. But you started drinking? Uh... Oh, gosh, I was horrible as an alcoholic. I'm 30-something th years sober now. But that being said, I was drugging out. I was drinking. I was drink taking drugs, you know, at 16. But here I was also a very high-profile athlete. Right. You were, so tell, tell us about that. Well, how good an athlete were you? I mean, Well, I was being, uh, you know, sponsored by Adidas, the Nike, the New Balance, and I was being sought yeah. out for the Olympics. I was, like, really a very big female runner it's why i also fight for female sports so that being said i i ran in the days of the ussr you might not know that helena but our friend here the ussr where the women were coming out looking like trans men no, the, east, the joke was the the east german ladies will be coming out later after they finish shaving their backs That's that right. was <laughs> that was um yeah it was amazing looking at those olympics back then oh my um, god and we would get online with them and they literally have mustaches and we're like and they're like double our size and we're like uh <laughs> and they would blow us away so really? I have, they oh won my, <laughs> yeah right no kidding <laughs> and so you know i have a lot of 
I have a lot of knowledge as an older person and also as an older transsexual person. I see things that not a lot of the newer generation sees because I have yeah. super lived experience. And I don't know why my lived experience gets discounted all the time, but I'm just like, no, things like what happened to Helena should never happen in this time. And it, it should have happened in my time, which it did, but it should never be happening today. This is so, ridiculous. So when... When you then you got then you went into your teens and, and early twenties. That's, right. That's right. Tell me Suffering. how tell me how, how this how you figured out that this was yeah. the issue. Great. Because there are many so other I, issues. Lots of kids do drugs, drink, whatever, right. all sorts That's of right. issues could be involved. How That's did you right. figure this was your problem? So as I'm going through life and as I'm getting puberty and as I'm dealing with the 70s and the 80s and no internet, remember this kids out there, everyone listening, no internet. No. So it's a whole other space. Thank Me God. Neither. Me neither. Actually, thank God I did not grow up with the internet. So there I am kind I'm of alone. Yeah, you should be. <laughs> but I'm just kidding. But that being said, I just played with boys. I was always with the boys. I beat up the boys. I was the badass kid at school who beat up every boy. <laughs> and this, and it, and it was just easy. I could be that boy. Nobody really. People made fun, but they didn't. It wasn't until high school where things started to happen, and people started to gender everything and be, you know, this yeah. and that. And you know what I mean? It's it's different with yeah. kids. And and so that being said, that's where my alcoholism started rising up. My drug drug addiction, my desire to be away from the world, my desire to find long distance running, which kept me in a very isolated space. And I, and I, that's why I became so good at it because I would just be in my own space and kick ass. And, yeah. but I had no social life. I didn't even understand my attraction to women because I said, I'm a man. And all my therapists would say, well, you're just a very gay, you're just a very male identified female. That's what they would say back in the day. And I'm like, what is that? And they're like, well, you're basically just homosexual. And I'm like, so really, if you, if you want to know, they're, they're flipping the narrative today. So what they did back then is they made all of us say that we're just gay, where I was really just a guy, but they didn't know how to deal with that. And today they're doing the same thing, but flipping it. They're saying, well, you're not a gay woman, possibly. You're definitely trans. So they're not yeah. even giving any nuance to the conversation. It's like, you and don't know is, what a there child is. A, is. There is a there's also a conflict there, obviously. That's right. Uh, That's right. And that no one ever talks about. or, or That's right. Some people do, but when they are, they're told they're they're being bigots or, or whatever. Oh, no, but, totally. But totally. If, if, you know, I'll talk about my, as a, as a gay person. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was a little freaked out. I mean, I, I was I was not gen that gender dysphoric. I, mm -hmm. I My friends were boys. Um, I hung out. I had a little group of four boys that I used to yeah. hang out with. But I wasn't into sports, and I was there's a whole bunch of stuff that, that made me gender atypical. You know, I like to yeah. read books. I like to, uh, I mean, the story I tell, which is kind of a hard story, was when I was eight and my brother was four at Christmas and we were at my family's, my grandparents, uh, and my brother was running around with a toy truck, bashing it up against the wall, hitting it up against the skirting <laughs> boards. And I was sitting in the corner um, just reading this book. And my grandmother said to my mother, um, looking at me and, and then pointing at my brother and said, well, at least now you've got a real boy. And wow. Uh, wow. so that's when it that's there's a little thing in my head was like, oh, OK. Uh, yeah. Then I was going to go to an all boys school at the age of 11, which was a little scary. I wasn't yet adding at puberty. So I did have some worries. I had some slight panic about what puberty, that's right. what I'd be expected to do as a boy right. once I'd gone through this puberty, uh, which yeah. is basically get yeah. your like, collarbone broken playing rugby. Uh, that's right. But. 
Uh, and so part of me did fear it a little yeah. bit. I was anxious about it a little bit. I had one dream when I had, a, like, did my genitals disappear? What's happening to me? I had no idea what was going on. I never even heard the word homosexual. That's right. Uh, and, but then puberty hit, and I was like, God damn, this is fucking awesome. <laughs> I guess it's like, <laughs> this, this, this thing I have on me 24 hours a day is the most wonderful thing that's ever happened to me in my life. Right. And, and I was, all my mild dysphoria disappeared overnight. And I, and I think that happens to a lot of a lot mm -hmm. of people. And, and, and certainly when yeah. we hear that 80% of kids that have issues with their gender or some mild to, 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 to not terribly serious gender dysphoria tend to end up gay. Um, That's right. That's totally right. Yes. They, they do. And, if, yes. and my worry is a gay person knowing that there are gay kids out there. I don't want them to be misdiagnosed. I, I, well, I they're, being be dis they're, they're already being misdiagnosed, my friend. They're right. all, like what I just said. They used to push me over into the, us into the homosexual space. And now they're pushing us into the trans space where I fight every day. I say, leave the kids alone. Just leave them alone and don't push them into any space and let them figure it out. But the narrative for the trans community is so powerful. These kids are being lured. I don't care what anybody says. I'm standing back as an old trans guy and watching the cherry dangle in front of the kids or the candy and saying, if you become trans, you're going to, your whole life is going to be better. You're not going to struggle. We're, we're handing them language. When you hand somebody language that they don't even understand, that is a very, very dangerous space. When you start to give kids 100%. this chance, that's right. We're giving you language that I never had that language, but look at me today. I'm successful. I, you know, I didn't graduate high school, by the way. I was a loser. I was on the streets. I was homeless. You want me to keep going? I was a prostitute. I was a cutter. I almost got killed by a, by a, by a John. I mean, I was a crackhead smoking crack on the street, living under a bench. I could continue to go on, but look at me today because I found that space that I needed to change in order to get to the next level. And that was in my late 20s when I already went through puberty. I already went through hell. And that's why I say, you can't cushion children and say, oh my God, we don't want them to go through puberty. We don't want them. You will ruin them. You have to go through puberty and you have to struggle. 100%. If you do not struggle, you do not understand the other side. And it's look at you, Helena. It's like you are so powerful now. The fact that you had to go through what you had to go through, I, I'm so sad and sorry for it. But I know I can feel you. You are powerful. And you have a voice now that will help to change what's happening in a community that I Thank once you. felt a part of. I once felt a part of I do not feel a part of yeah. this. I feel like an outsider. I feel like I have championed for the rights of trans people for 30 years. And here I stand as an outsider in a community that I helped on some level build, on some level create. Yeah. I, you know, I was out there naked to the world as a porn star 20 plus years ago. Nobody had ever seen a person like us before. And there I was. I got nailed. I could show you stuff that people said they're going to kill me. They're going to hang me from trees. I mean, they're, they're going to meet me somewhere and blow. And it's insane the stuff I dealt with. Yet here I am. And the fact that a community doesn't appreciate not only me, but the other people that really made the situation happen yeah. and take over from us is disgusting and wrong. It's wrong. And we don't need people like you suffering. We need people like you having a beautiful life and saying, well, maybe it's just not gender dysphoria. Maybe I just have some body issues, right? That's, that's yeah. really basically what you had. You just had some body issues. And I really love how you put that a second ago. You're saying that um, they're giving kids and young people in general, they're giving them language. Right. And I think that is so spot on with what's wrong here because your process was not having the language and having to live 
the experience of your life and having to piece together through your experiences, through the things you learned along the way, where you belonged in this world. And through that, come to the conclusion of what to do next. But now you have these kids who are confused and they haven't had that process. They have not gone through the things that their life intended them to go through to help them realize where they belong. They haven't had that. They're just having this cookie cutter language be given to them. And they are then being encouraged to mold their experiences and their feelings, which they don't even understand because they haven't had the prerequisite life experience to understand it. Mold that into the language that was given to them by activists. Yes. That's right. You know, one of the things... One of the things you said I wrote down a lot because your information is so insanely amazing. But what I, what I want to say you. was the thing that pisses me off the most is how you went into Planned Parenthood within one hour. <laughs> within, and I'm laughing because yeah. I don't want to cry. But that said, do you want to know what I had to go through in order to get hormones? Tell us. Oh, I bet. I had to go to a therapist for two years. Yeah. Then remember, yeah. there was no internet. There was no internet. How do I find it? How do I find a surgeon? Surgeons didn't even exist for trans men thirty or twenty years ago. They did not exist. I had to go mm-hmm. find a surgeon who worked with trans women. I had to find a hormone guy who worked with trans women. I was the first for both of them. Both of them called me an experiment. Both of them said, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. We're just going to do this. And there I was at the mercy of some doctor telling me this is, you know, how we're going to do it. They didn't even know how to do it. And how, so did, we, how, did, how did it affect you, Buck? I mean, I, I just want to get back to your story yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you, how did you figure out this might be your problem? How did you figure that out on your own? I, I could not live in the space I was living in, which okay. was suicidal thoughts daily, right. daily, right. daily. I would say, and I was getting sober at the time. So I was already like a couple of years into my sobriety and now you have to deal with shit, right? right <laughs> you have to right. deal with life when you're sober. So I'm like, uh, <laughs> I can't really. And I was an extremely butch woman and, you know, I got a lot of shit for that. And then I had, I met. But you were quite a beautiful woman too. I well, mean, thank it, you. I mean, but you know, it, it's hard to be a beautiful woman when you feel like a, a man. No, I can't imagine. It must make it even worse, right? It's horrible. I was an actual fashion model in the actual fashion fashion world. I was traveling the world wow. as a fashion model. It was crazy because I could snort cocaine and I could drink alcohol and I could disconnect from you know that space. And there was money involved in it. But but so that, there must have been a moment when you're like, "Fuck this." This is my problem. I'm going to figure out a solution to this. Totally. That's exactly what I did. And I found the solution through a bookstore called Different Light Bookstore in Los Angeles. Remember remember that bookstore? And I I still have the pamphlet that I found that was a homemade pamphlet from a trans woman's group. And in it, it had all these resources for trans women. And I just flipped the narrative. And I went, well, I'm the opposite of that. And I called all these doctors and only one would see me for hormones. And he said, I've never done it. But if you bring... Here's the key, kids. If you bring a note from your therapist that states that they believe you are transitioning from a woman to a man, we can do this. We had to have notes, which now they call, or, you know, a letter, now they call that gatekeeping, which is so, I call it safekeeping. (laughs) It's ridiculous. The thing is, the thing is nowadays that like, still with surgery, a lot of doctors will require a therapist's note, but they've set up basically like infrastructure so that it's as easy as possible. Like my example that I always give is that the center on Halstead in Chicago, that's like the LGBT resource center there. If you go on their website, I mean, I haven't checked in the last six months, but every time Mm -hmm. I go on there, if you go on their website to their like services of what they do for therapy, one of the options is that they will write letters for surgery and they guarantee you same day, you just bring 50 bucks 
and they will write you a letter. I'm dead. <laughs> Just shoot me. Yeah, for <laughs> any cougar you want. You know who funds that center? Do you know who funds that center? Who? The Wachowskis. Do you know who the Wachowskis are? The Wachowski sisters? Do you know who they are? I... Lana and... They're, they're, oh. they're, they're the Matrix people, the people who made the Matrix, the directors yes, of the yes. Matrix. One of them is trans, right? Yeah. Both of them now are, because, yeah. you know, I have a story, a backstory with that. Well, my let's wife, not, let's my not wife talk about individual <laughs> people in their private lives. No, but it doesn't matter. It's not private. It's actually, it's actually very okay. public. But anyway, my point being is there's a lot of money funding these spaces. There's a lot of big yeah. trans money funding these spaces, which actually blows my mind because I don't understand why our community wants so many people to be trans. I don't want anybody to be trans. In fact, it's a horrible space to be in until you find your space. But that being said, I don't want somebody to be trans, start medicalizing children. They're gonna have to be medicalized for the, I have to shoot testosterone for the rest of my life. I don't have a penis. I'm not a regular man. I have to find my space in the world. It's not an easy space, but that being- it's so not I, an easy I wanna space. I wanna this is something I, I wanted to focus on because it's one of the things I as an outsider have a, a hard time doing. You are a man, but you're obviously not completely indistinguishable from someone who was born a man, right? That's right. So that's so right. Uh, so that's why we call you a trans man. Now in what sense uh so that I that I'm under I can understand all of that. And I certainly have no problem treating people who have transitioned entirely as their own gender mm -hmm. as as they see fit i think it's a matter of decency and respect That's and right. equality That's and right. i loathe 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 ugliness towards people like that yeah um but the question is uh how do we but when i told when i've made that distinction between a trans man and a man and said look i'm 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 prepared to say that they should be treated and understood within the right. law exactly the same thing but i cannot you cannot make me say there is no difference i, I just i just it's just not true and not. i get i get in these in, in my head sometimes i'm just like the well, one thing i cannot do is be forced to say something i don't believe that's right that's right and me if either. i am i want you to tell me why and none of them have been able to tell me why uh, that that distinction has to be erased completely um and that's because where the issue know why they have no answer for that that's why i'm telling you it's an ideology because if you don't have a factual answer for something then you got to look at the other side of it and i'm going to tell you i'm angry at the community for trying to make us men and women that erases our experience number one it erases my medical needs number two if i walk into a doctor's office and i'm like i don't need to actually have a prostate exam i actually need to have a gynecological exam so you tell me like how am i going to deal with that as a man they are they are actually doing us a disservice by doing that we are not men we are trans men we are not women we are trans women so the but the well, ideology right. the ideology is deep down that uh that 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 there is no such thing as sort of biological reality <laughs> but, well, yeah. but i know yeah. i'm just stating what the argument is <laughs> yeah. uh that 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 we've construct biology is itself a social construction that has been created mm -hmm. by these oppressive forces and wow. therefore to make a distinction biologically between even between a man and a woman is itself merely a function of oppression it has nothing to do <laughs> Well, I know your laughter is exactly what should happen when people say that. But yet every single major gay organization will say that. I know. Yeah. And, I know. and, and there has been no pushback from gay, gay men and women at all saying, hold on a minute. Uh, and when That's I, right. you know, and, and when I ask around, because I'm a gay man and I know regular right. normie gay dudes, 
they don't know much about the subject. They find nope. it kind of freak, freaks them out a bit. That's right. uh, they're very uncomfortable with young boys being, uh, young girls suddenly deciding they're boys or young boys suddenly deciding they're girls and having permanent irreversible uh, right. decisions being taken. In other words, there is actually quite a large amount of dissent within the gay world right. against some of this, but everybody is completely terrified yep. to say a single thing Why? about this. Why? Because they will be accused of, 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 as I've been accused, of wanting to, to commit genocide against trans people, of wanting to erase yep. their existence. How, of saying, is the trans, uh, how is the trans voice so powerful? Can any of you answer that to me? Because I want to know, how are we so backed into a corner by one of the smallest groups of people in the world? They're like 0.5%. How are we all? including me, I, I refuse to be backed into a wall, by the way, but I'm in a different position than, than you are because I am a transsexual man and I have the space. That's why I don't get canceled because I am allowed to speak my mind. But that being said, how is 0.5% of the population of the whole world backing us into a wall? How do they have that power? I, I really, this is a real question. Well, I think that they've used a lot of the tactics that in my opinion, in a good way, made the gay rights movement successful, but they've mm. kind of like, they've turned up the wattage on that to very, very high, you know? Cause like, I remember before the trans stuff was a huge issue when I was younger, people would talk about like gay marriage, like gay people deserve the right to get married. Um, there's like mental health issues among gay youth. And like, we would talk about that and they should be accepted by their parents. But now it's not just that, it's like, parents are abusing their trans children by not letting them transition at 10 years old. That is causing suicide. You're murderers. You're killing people. Um, or, you know, well, the gay rights of... movement never required medical intervention in the lives of anyone. That's right. Yeah. So it, yeah, yeah, it yeah. never, it never, nor did it require anything like the sports question because gay boys and, right. and women were all already within the sexual categories. Uh, and, and, and I will also say this, that uh, having been pretty, central in that movement for marriage equality from the 80s, 90s onwards. We specifically, okay. and I, I insist on this, we did not campaign the way this is being campaigned. We, right. we, we said we, we're open to dialogue. I went, I went to visit conservative places. I went to, I went to uh, uh, fundamentalist churches. I was eager to explain what the gay okay. experience was and to generate dialogue and also to tell our stories rather than bullying or demonizing. Uh, here, here, I think, is the, the, the weapon of the accusation of racism, of, of being host of transphobia, yep. Uh, yep. That, that every argument... I mean, there's, there's this distrust of arguments. Like, let's say someone hasn't, I've, I've tried to present these arguments and say, well, mm -hmm. uh, can, we, can we come to some agreement about that? But when you define an argument as a feeling, and the feeling is always hate, <laughs> it's this right. word hate, as if, right. as if I hate yeah. trans people. I mean, it's, it, it's, right. it's, it's part of the bastardization of the, the whole phenomenon, the hate industry, which 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 also yeah. has the other thing I would say is that you've got the weapon of calling people transphobic. You've also got the financial challenge of groups that have basically run out of things to do. Uh, I mean, yeah. you go to the human rights campaign; it has a huge, big building just down the street from here, which and they've already got 
gay men and transgender and lesbians and transgender people in the Civil Rights Act of 1964. You have visibility up the wazoo. Uh, nobody really wants to target gay people anymore. It's done. Yeah. And, and yeah. at some point, my position was always once we've got these basic protections, let's get on with our fucking lives and let's just live them. And as people, as humans, we don't have to be defined totally within these particular right. categories. What I love about the two of you is you are such individuals. You know, you're not defined entirely by these external identities. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, but, but let me just, when you started doing testosterone, Buck, I'm just mm -hmm. getting back to your story. It was, it, was, it was incredibly liberating for you, right? It was a huge success. Well, so, oh, here, let's, so 26 years ago, yeah. I put my first injection in and my, I'll never forget it ever. My doctor said to me, I don't know what I'm doing, dude. <laughs> He's basically 80 years old. He's 80. He's like, I don't know what I'm doing. And you're going to be my guinea pig, exact words. And I'm like, do it. Because my mantra was always, if it doesn't work out, I'll just kill myself. I said it daily. If it doesn't work out, I'll just kill myself. That was always my out. It was just like, you know, if, if I'm thirsty, I'll drink a Coke. It was just like that kind of thing. And it's really profound if you think about that was constantly in my mind, just like I could just exit, you know, stage left. But somehow it worked out. And I don't know how it worked out because that first shot was like, oh my God, here I go. But there is no internet. I don't get to Google search trans men. What do they look like? What does one year look like? What does two months look like? I had nothing in front of me. I was scared to death. I thought I was going to look like an alien. I thought I was going to grow horns. I, thought, I mean, I had no idea what was going to happen to me. But as I started to progress and start to masculinize fast, I lost my period in the first month. I lost my hair within the first year. I just started masculinizing. I lost friends. I lost many friends during that time because back in the day, there was nobody like me. Most of my community was gay women. They all hated me. They all called me a traitor. They were like, you're becoming a man. That's disgusting. What are you doing? I mean, literally fast forward 10 years after I started, half of them came to me to ask how to start to transition. So it was like, I was in a very weird space for the first 10 years where I didn't know anything about anything other than that I became a powerhouse in my mind. And but started, were you attracted to women as a woman? Great question. So I've always been attracted to women sexually. I never had any attraction to men. It wasn't until testosterone, which Helena, you said that your sex drive went up. I immediately started to have an attraction to men. And I started, you know, I go into the crazy. gym. It was crazy. And I started working out with gay men. So I literally started to get sucked into this gay male sex world. And I was like, this is amazing. But remember, there was no guys like me back then. So how does a guy like me yeah. have sex with gay men? <laughs> tell me. Tell out. me. Tell they me about that experience. Out. So they were freaked. So I'll never, my very first experience was in a bar here in Los Angeles called The Fault Line, which is a gay men's. Oh God, like, yeah. Of, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a gay men's sort of BDSM club, leather man. So that was my attraction, leather man and masculinity. And as a, you're smoking cigars and like just being as man as you could be. And I'm sitting at the bar, just hanging out, smoking a cigar. And this dude comes up to me. He's like, oh, sir, you're so hot. Can you, can I lick your boots? And I'm like, right on, dude. So he starts licking my boots and he starts licking up my leather pants and then i'm thinking oh no because i don't have a penis so i'm like oh gosh and then he gets almost to my crotch and i go hold up and he goes yes sir he looks up at me yes sir and i go i just need to tell you this i was born a woman but i'm now a man but i do not have a penis and i'll never his eyes were like what <laughs> he's like what are you talking 
talking about, dude. He's like, um, I don't understand and I really don't care. And we just went to the back, black, back room where you go and we had sex and it was like unbelievable. And that was my sort of introduction. So I, the message in that is this to the world. Never underestimate living authentic in your life and not caring what people think about you and always being honest. I am always about disclosure. I am not the man you think I am. I know I look like I have a huge penis, but I don't. And so sometimes I have to tell guys that. And it's like, which seems, was, seems to be the honest thing to do before it's the honest, you, before well, but this community happens. doesn't like that. Right. But this community is not about disclosure. No, I'm told out. I am actually I That's am right. told all the time that because the idea of sex with someone with a vagina doesn't just actually does not That's, work in That's my right. head That's right. at all. In fact, right. part of me is defined by that. Um right. that I'm therefore transphobic. No, and, you're not. Well, I don't <laughs> think I am either. But that's you're what not. they will tell you, that if you're not open to this, it's obviously bigotry and you're obviously oppressive and you obviously hate. And it, the rhetoric goes from zero to 11 within seconds. Uh, you, you disagree with someone and suddenly you're, you're actually erasing all trans people. You want them... You want them to cease to exist. There is when I right. when I talk about we need to talk about this question. They're like, oh, so you want you want the final solution? You want to kill all of us, like Hitler did the Jews? <laughs> I know, it's so insane. Or, or that you're denying that I exist? I'm not denying <laughs> that you exist. Quite clearly, you do exist. I'm trying to understand better how we grapple with this and how we integrate it all into our general society in ways that do not create too much unintended bad consequences that's all that's right. I'm, that's right. I'm thinking about but but that's you right. you had an experience in, to understand that's you, right you and i don't i think it's i it's, i can understand exactly how a woman that takes a bunch of testosterone will will masculinize will look get, at me look at me yeah. just, and I'm not only that dude. but you you as a porn star right that's as right. a porn star after that, I created porn, which again was a whole other space. No one in the world had ever done it before. I was the first trans male porn star. And I create. I created the genre of trans male pornography against all odds. E even the porn industry hated me. Everyone hated me. I got death threats. I got insanity. But what I did get was this gay men writing me, wow, I've always fantasized about a man with a vagina. And I thought, what? Like who, I unlocked Pandora's box. So that means I got into a fight with the gay men's community because again, gay men don't like vagina or they look at you as a woman. But I was, in, I was actually trying to sort of say, look, it's okay if you're not interested in me, but there are other men out there who are interested in me. I've never pushed myself on the gay men scene. I was welcomed because I never pushed myself. I always just gradually came in until I was well, I'm welcome there. The gay men's world loves me because I understand it's not everyone's going to be interested in me. I have a vagina. I don't have a penis, but that, so I don't push it on. And that's the thing that I have a disconnect with this new ideology. How can you tell people they're transphobic if they don't like you? That is the most weak disgusting space to be in when you start forcing people to like you because you're saying if you don't you're this people are never going to like me They're, the whole world is never going to like me but i found my space and that's all you need to understand no one's going to like you andrew they're not going to like you helena they're not going to like any of us because of something that we do in our world but do we sit here and live our lives around it no we move forward and we find the space and you be honest about who you are. I've always been honest that I was born a woman and I became a man and I've never veered from that story. That confidence is very contagious. 
<laughs> right uh, the truth is it's very contagious and and so many of the trans people i know and love have that courage and right. and and sense because they're not but let's they're not then they because they're confident and not crazy defensive about this that's right i don't uh, need to be defensive yeah. to you i don't need to be defensive because i i just don't i don't care if you like me the number one thing that people need to hear from me and my story is don't care what people think about you because if you start to go into that total rabbit hole you'll never be happy ever but, in a but the other thing about this ideology is it politicizes everything that's right so that yeah, even a sex right. act which is really about attraction that's to right. individuals there's something mysterious about that that's the connection right. the electricity that happens or doesn't happen is a human experience and what they're doing right. is saying the sex is actually political and if you don't have sex with this person you are violating certain <gasps> political principles so in other words the gay rights movement has become uh, antithetical to sexual freedom. That's right. Oh my God, you just said it. And I'm like, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm not attached to my gender. I'll be honest with you. I don't give a shit about being a trans person. I care about my sexuality more than I care about my gender. And I care about sexuality in a bigger space. That is my voice. I Because sex changed my life. I would not be here as the man I am if I did not learn how to masturbate and I did not learn how to have sex. And that is why I believe that I am very powerful because I connected to my sexual space without being a real man, if that makes sense. And so Would that's you say, why sex, this is this yeah. is a just a curiosity point, but hey, we're we can we can ask questions here. <laughs> of, of, of men who are into men with vaginas, let's uh -huh. put it that way. Uh, my my impression from Grinder and Scruff and other places is that a lot of straight men are curious about that. Of course. Um, and more straight men versus with with this than than often gay men who are more polarized in many ways towards mm -hmm. dicks uh, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, which just complicates matters. But, but uh, <laughs> and but my view is that whatever what people adults want to do in private is up to them. And That's right. and That's right. Uh, I think if, if 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 people weren't so bloody defensive, the other point you made, Buck, that I find interesting is that is that this is part of a culture of parenting more generally mm -hmm. in which children are protected from any conflict, any struggle, any yeah. difficulty in a way that renders them incapable of functioning as adults. Or this, the, uh, the ability, for example, to have a spirited debate with someone. Mm -hmm. That's right. And That's both right. of you not have your self-esteem completely wrapped up in who wins or loses, or <laughs> who has the right point, because you're you're interested in the to and flow. That is beyond this generation. They just can't function uh, no, within can't. within a couple of counter arguments. They're like, well, you're trying to erase me and hurt me and deny my existence and I have to leave right now. And I've had them leave. They can't handle it. And I'm just like, well, what, how, why are we infantilizing uh, well, I know why. Infantilizing adults. I, I, I know why. Because a lot of these, first off, aren't adults. It's easy to control children. It is easy to control 15, 16, 17-year-olds. It's easy to get them to sort of look at this space and say, that's me. That's what cults do. You know, I dated a woman who was in a cult, raised in a cult, and I, I know cults, and there's so many parallels that I see. And what that's why I asked that question earlier. 
why is 0.5% of a population of the world so powerful? They've created a mindset. They've created a, a cultish type ideology mindset that is when kids are 15 and 16, they're vulnerable. We know that they're even vulnerable at 10. So if they're on TikTok, Twitter, all of that, Helena's story just said it all to me, Tumblr. It, it says it all. It says this idea that we can actually create power through creating power through having more people join our space by telling them these types of ideologies. And that that's actually what I see. Helena, what you have. Something. And yeah, this might be controversial, but since we're on the topic of cult, um, I, I do think that there are a lot of cult mechanisms going on here. That's and right. first and foremost, I think the core of a lot of this, uh, why it's so powerful and why these people are so averse to any kind of counter argument right. and why they shut down and why they break down uh -huh. is because for a lot of people, the trans identity is not what it is for Buck. That's right. It's not just a natural progression of who they yeah. are. It's a cult identity in and of right. itself. That's absolutely what it was for me. It was a separate identity that I constructed in order to cope with very deep self-worth and emotional issues that I had. And I began to identify not as just myself, not as just a trans man, but as a trans man in the context of this queer world view that I had adopted. And so I think that that is why, you know, these people are so polarized in the way that they make arguments and they're so resistant to any kind of nuance. It's because there is the party line and your identity is the party line. And your ability to, That's right. your, your self-worth and your ability to justify your existence as a person when deep down you don't really like yourself mm -hmm. um, hinges on your membership to this group and your adherence to the party line. And that is why when I would think that someone detransitions, people who are transgender would be upset that someone made this mistake. That's right. And, and, and ask themselves, well, we, we don't want people who aren't transgender to become transgender. So how do we stop this from happening? No, the response is this person is lying. <laughs> this person mm -hmm. does not exist. Mm -hmm. That's right. These mm -hmm. people are don't. There are only five of them in the world and they're all yeah. <laughs> crazy. Uh, yeah. Owen Chase Strangio, uh, I, don't, mm. I don't know whether that pronounce his name, that just simply says as a fiat on Twiat, rapid onset gender disorder does not exist. <laughs> As if saying it that way is going to persuade yeah, anybody. Right. Um, yeah. These, there is, there, I'm sorry, but there is a cult-like element. Yes. And, and I'm not saying it's a cult. I'm saying it's cult-like behavior. And yes, it gets yeah. me in trouble all the time, but you all know me. I don't give a shit. Nobody can get me. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. I'm going to say anything I want to say and no one's going to stop me. I'm an actual real transsexual person who actually had an actual sex change before half these kids were even born. So that being said, they could say whatever they want. And they could do whatever they want as I can. And that's what I say to them. You can, you can continue to say what you want to say and I'll continue to say what I want to say. And as, if you call me transphobic, I get people kicked off of Twitter all the time, trans people, because they call me transphobic and I refuse to be, they call me a turf. They call me transphobic. They call me a bootlicker. All they can do is call me names. Nobody wants to have what you yeah. said earlier. They cannot have a conversation with me. You know, look at me. I'm open to dialogue. I've always been open to dialogue, but none of these little baby ass people can have a dialogue with me. They just shut me down. They call me names. I mean, I, you should see the stuff people say about me, which is so insane. I thought, 
wow, why are so many people in this community targeting me and trying to shut my voice down? And why are they trying to shut down the voice of detransitioners? Do you see how powerful mm -hmm. that is? It means that we have yeah. something, my friend. We have something that can change yeah. the world. And when they are scared yeah. of us. And that is a space where me and you have a lot of power and they know it. Yeah, I've... It's because especially with someone like me, it's like I'm not just making arguments from a That's... purely intellectual standpoint. Like right. I'm literally saying that I lived, I was just like you for five years. I That's said right. the same things you're saying in the same exact phrasing that you're saying i use these exact sentences verbatim that you are throwing at me i had these same beliefs That's right. i had the same identity i transitioned i went on testosterone i self-injected testosterone into my leg muscle every week for almost two years i know what i'm talking about that's and right in my, in my opinion there's absolutely cult dynamics rapid onset gender dysphoria is real and there is a strong social contagion. Aspect. And why is it all girls? Why, 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 why do we have a huge upswing on young girls? Why? Because puberty sucks for girls more than it sucks for guys. And I can say that because I was a woman. It's different from hear what Andrew said. He's like, oh, I got went through puberty and I was so excited. And <laughs> but girls don't yeah. do that. Girls do a different space. Yeah. They start growing boobs. They become sexualized. There's a whole other space. So now all of a sudden you're giving young girls this out and out not to have puberty and and then and then pushing parents oh it's gonna make me so mad right now and then pushing parents as i don't know if you all know that i'm a parent a parent of an eight-year-old so i'm not just talking about something that i think only from my own experience i'm also have an eight-year-old in my life daily and i watch the things that get presented to him how he walks the world so i'm thinking to myself parents are being presented with some weird stuff when they're celebrating yeah their children being trans. Who celebrates that? And also you should be keeping it private. What if your child decides they're not trans when they're like 14, but here you have put them on a pedestal. Well, I remember, I remember that horrifying democratic debate uh, where they brought on this six year old yes. oh my who God. said, hello, I am a trans kid. Oh I'm six years old. And I, I, honestly, uh, and this person is on the board of the human rights campaign. Ugh. And I, I'm just like, this is appalling. Appalling. And, appalling. And, and then Elizabeth Warren talks to the six-year-old and says, um, <laughs> well, I'll make sure that if I appoint an education secretary, you'll get your permission first. And it's just like, you're talking <laughs> to a child. <laughs> six-year-old we're literally but you see if we take our step back all of us here if we take us and we look at it from a really <laughs> from a from a different perspective we see what we see and for some reason they are they are in front of this curtain and this magic show that they're doing and somehow they have just manipulated people's thought that oh it's all about the trans youth we got to give trans youth all this stuff it's completely insane that we would talk about children like this and in what world do we live in where all of a sudden children are being given lupron which isn't even really given for children it's not even made for children it's made for I have never in my life seen something being taken that's like what do you what do you call it when it's not made for it and then you off use label. it off label. Off label. <laughs> that in itself should. I, if, I'm a parent. If someone, some doctor told me, well, you know, your child needs to be on puberty blockers because they're going to kill themselves. Wouldn't you get like four other opinions? Well, I think there's also a huge. <laughs> well, the trouble is the kids too, as as you know, Helena. I mean, when your parents said well, you you do you 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 were very adamant that your parents would go fuck themselves on this that that, that you that's right yeah. that, that the hostility towards parents these this that they're and the 
There was an interesting couple of pieces in Quillette about parents dealing with this because That's right. this is happening to a lot of parents, especially who yes. in super liberal schools and places <sighs> and suddenly are presented with this really, really and told that if you do not agree, you are you are effectively murdering your child. That's right. I just read yeah. that today. Another one. Yep. The, the, yep. The, 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 the choice yep. that parents are given is do you want a well the, the usual thing do you want to do you want to do you want a live girl or a dead boy how you know, dare that's they what, yeah. that so is I what they sue. say i would sue i, I would say any doctor that's say what <laughs> helena i said that to my parents you did would you rather have a a, a dead girl or a live son but how old I were you when you said that 15 or 16 no oh. 17 Okay, so so right. I can you know, I'm gonna tell you there is a nuance here. I'm I, I really think 17, 18, you start to kind of maybe can understand things, that, but you need to go to therapy, you need to take a whole road, not like what you did. The fact that you had no mental health care is disgusting. And the fact that it took one hour yeah. for you to get hormones is sick. And they, and I, you know, I actually like Planned Parenthood. I, I, I actually support them, but I'm not supporting their trans department. I support them in other spaces. But now I'm really upset about how easy it is for some child, because you're a child, my friend, when you walk in there and without any parental consent, you didn't even need to get your yeah. parent consent. Well, she, she was eighteen at the time. Oh, you were eighteen at the yeah, time. Yeah. So when she actually went to get the hormones, so that that was. Can a kid issue. go to Planned Parenthood without their parents' consent? Do you know, if, Helena? Can they do that? Um, in some states, the medical age of consent is like fifteen or sixteen, and in some states that counts for surgeries. Like in Oregon, <laughs> you can get you can get your breasts removed without parental consent at fifteen. But you can't drink. As long as your insurance will pay for it. But or you, you can't find drink. the money to pay for it somehow. That's right. But and you, you can't, can't wait. Yeah, and you can't have sex. And you can't do all the things that are naturally, you know, whatever, part of being a child. The, it's just the, weird. The, the puberty blockers argument that, 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 that is made is that we're just pausing. We're just giving the kid time to figure <laughs> it out. Well, I know you're laughing, but yeah. that is the argument. And the, there are, you know. can easily reverse these things. So the, the puberty true. blockers is just like a, a little holding pattern. But of course, preventing uh, the body's natural development for an indeterminate amount of time is going to have an effect on right. bone density, on your neurological development, on your psychological mm -hmm. development, and also... If you keep putting puberty off, how will you ever know what you, how are you to feel past puberty? Now, I had a bit of a breakthrough this week in terms of thinking about this. I realized, because someone actually was honest enough to tell me this, they don't normally say this, the reason they want to intervene early before puberty is because if they do that and prevent, for example, uh, testosterone affecting the body of a young, of, of a young boy and, and, and flooding them, is that they're much more easily they, they pass much more easily <sighs> in later life because they don't have the androgenization effect that's right of puberty which will inevitably change your facial structure somewhat um it changes your body shape uh and structure uh and uh, that's right. uh, uh that to be and... honest worries me it, it worries me that the the the, the the cosmetic ideas in adulthood are being extrapolated, inferred back into a child's decision. That's right. That's right. Um, but let me let me put this to you directly. So what what if that's true? And a young boy who really is really is trans person yeah. uh, and wants to pass in adulthood, 
uh, and doesn't want his genitals to develop as they do mm-hmm. in puberty, mm-hmm. and so he can pass, but she can pass better in the future. Uh, what's the argument against that? Well, I do believe there are trans kids. I, I'm sorry, Helena. Oh, I do too. I do too. But yeah. go on, Helena. What? Yeah. Here's the thing for me. So it concerns me that we are supposed to be so worried that, you know, some future trans woman won't be able to pass as easily. But we're not worried about the young boy who is put on puberty blockers and then cross-sex hormones who has early onset osteoporosis. We don't even know what kind of mental effects there could be. We don't even know what kind of, you know, vascular and all, all these sorts, like there's increased risk for stroke and all this kind of stuff. What about that young boy who is put on these hormonal treatments who then grows up and by the age of 18 or 19 realizes that this was a mistake, but not only is his health in shambles potentially, but also now he can't pass as a male. Like, why is there no concern for that? Mm. Um, so I think that we really need to balance what what is worse, honestly, um, being a trans person and having to struggle to achieve the body that you want or being just a gay kid who was unfortunate enough to have his appearance and his health nuked and obliterated by these kinds of treatments. Well, do these people think they're God? Sick, no, they're playing God. They're playing God. That's another thing. The, go yeah, fuck yourself. <laughs> we are, humans are not Mr. Potato Heads. Like That's our right. bodies and our organs and our endocrine system it evolved a certain way for a reason. Like, it's not just completely arbitrary. You know, nature didn't put testosterone for no reason, estrogen for no reason, ovaries for no reason, testicles for no reason. They all have a purpose. Males and females evolved to have different bodies for a purpose. Um, And I think an adult can make the decision to potentially risk their health. And I know, Buck, you, you will be the first one to talk about how it is a risk to your health. Uh, I think an adult can make that decision, but there is absolutely no excuse to potentially put a child on that road for cosmetic reasons uh, because hormones are not cosmetic. That's right. You're now yeah, medicalizing I'm, a child. That's gross. <laughs> even in my much more trivial way of having testosterone injections to to get my own testosterone levels back to normal, mm-hmm. I can't stop them. If that's I right. stop them... <laughs> I'm going to have some trouble. And over time, yeah, you take testosterone, your balls are going to shrink. And you're mm-hmm. not going to be producing testosterone yourself. This is a very complex system. And, of course, it's driven by the species' reproductive strategy, which, which many of us don't are variations upon. But the fact that there are variations upon a theme doesn't mean the theme doesn't exist or that the theme mm-hmm, isn't the mm-hmm. theme. It, 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 it's as if it, sometimes exceptions prove the rule. And, 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 and a whole point of this, this ideology is that exceptions negate and destroy the rule, even if they represent 0.5% of the variations, mm-hmm. which is so dishonest as an argument. <sighs> That's right. Uh, and, 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 and yet we've also seen the medical establishment, uh, medical journals, them all essentially capitulate to this. Yes. Uh, yes. So that we and have like Scientific American saying there aren't two sexes. 
It's insane. That's the most ridiculous thing to me because it's like, even in high school biology and in high school health class, I learned that hormones have a purpose. They're not just, they don't just work for reproduction. They don't just make you look a certain way. All of your sex hormones are involved in millions of processes in your body. They're involved in your bones. They're involved in your brain. They're literally, they're involved in your metabolism. They're involved in your immune system. They're involved in so many different things. And medicine knows this. Medicine has known this forever. Every doctor who goes to medical school learns this. Every nurse who goes to nursing school learns this. So why are all these people who learned all of this going on with this ideology that is saying that hormones only matter when it's cosmetic and it's okay to create an endocrine disorder in a child because yeah. they might look better as the opposite sex in 10 years. That's right. Like that's, that's ridiculous right. to me. It's playing God and it's saying, you know, better than whatever mm-hmm. the situation is. And you can't just change somebody. First off, I know some trans kids and I'm, I'm, I'm close to the parents. And I'll tell you what, some, these kids are doing great, but they went through therapy. They went through a whole system. They took time with their child. They didn't just start putting blockers in their kid. And I'm going to tell you, I've seen kids benefit from this. And I do think on some level, if we really get some more experimental stuff done, we start doing more research on it. I think eventually it could alleviate some problems for some people but i do not believe it's a blanket space and i do not believe all kids who say they're trans are trans i think it is a new space that kids are giving what i say earlier language and they all kids want to belong right i was a punk rocker i was an athlete you you find your space you want to be a part of a community and here's the other thing people are not understanding trans is now an identity it was never an identity for me it was an actual i have a medical condition called gender dysphoria i don't I don't identify as a trans person. I identify as a man. I had a sex change is what we call it back then. I have a total space where I wanted to go from a female to a male. Today, that's not even the case. Today, trans is an umbrella term. It's all about just mm-hmm. play, doing this thing. N- many people don't even do medical transitioning. That's why trans is now non-binary. So it's, it's just mm-hmm. so, it's over here compared to what I am. And I am a person who needed medical intervention, who needed to become this person and became a, a success in the world and I would never be this person if I didn't have a transition. But the goal here is to define your sex by self-identity, just self-identifying. No other proof no, no, it's bullshit. Um, I mean, you can do that socially. I, you know, I'm all yeah. for social transition. Oh, Go me too. for it. Absolutely. Go for it. That's if right. If a kid, if a little boy wants to wear a dress and grow up as a girl, then I, that's and right. that's really a passionate thing that he that's right. wants to do. And even if he wants to change, I'm fine. I'm absolutely that's fine. That's right. Uh, I don't want to harm these kids at all. And for those who need it, but the the problem is you want a very discriminating system that's able to take its time and diagnose this very correctly. And my worry is the ideology (laughs) has, the ideology has kind of started to dictate the medicine, not the other way around. And the pressure. Not kind of, completely. Money, 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 money. But there's money also because obviously it's incredibly lucrative, this. And you play upon incredibly terrors of of parents, especially wealthy liberal parents who are terrified about this. And, 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 uh, 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 where was I going with that? (laughs) I sometimes, well, yeah, money, we're yes, money, um, yeah, yeah, money, but also the fact that the media, especially the mainstream media, I mean, it's gonna be fascinating to see 60 Minutes is finally doing. Story oh, detransitioning. Oh, I, I don't, know. Maybe I don't they, know if maybe they will it. wimp out. Maybe maybe the pressure out. being brought. But when I I hope not. But you mm. ju- there just isn't a debate on this in the American media. There isn't. It's not allowed. Yeah. 
No, it's, it's not allowed. It's not allowed. And, and, and it was one of the reasons I was fired from New York Magazine. It's because I actually did start writing about this in a way that was not simply boilerplate propaganda for the trans rights I didn't. movement. Or you L got fired? L yes, last year. Um, yeah, for, <sighs> for, being, for not being PC enough. Um, uh, I'm just shocked. Or, well, Disgusting. no, because the, you have to go into the mainstream media now. You go into the, the Washington yeah. Post newsroom or the New York That's Times newsroom. That's not media. That's anybody, not journalism. But I'm saying, but anybody in those places that is in any way capable of asking questions about this is immediately silenced. There is no, every story, every single story I have read has been pure propaganda on the scout. Now, you, in Britain, it's slightly different. In Britain, yeah. there has actually been a vibrant debate in the press. The Sunday Times, yeah. The yeah. Independent, all sorts of places have tackled this question because they've had some some really difficult issues with with the Tavistock yeah. Center, which is the main That's right. the main group. But there is this is also part of, of wokeism's attempt to freeze debate and 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 say that debating something itself is harmful. And in fact right. I got it's this violence. a lot from the it's response to my violence. piece. They said, if yeah. you even discuss this as a, you are denying their right to exist. And my, I, my <laughs> lived experience, just because I'm feeling it, obliterates any argument you might have. And in fact, any, your ability to make That's an right. argument is an expression of hatred. That's it, right. It rests That's upon right. our existential nature. We are trying to erase the existence of trans people. Nothing could be further from the truth. So listen, I'm going to say, say this. It's why I am powerful. They cannot tell me I can't say it. They can't, they, you cannot let me on the news stations. You cannot bring me on 60 Minutes. You cannot bring me on anything. But what am I doing? I have my own platform. And that being said, it's why I'm telling people like Helena and I'm telling all the detransitioners, I'm telling all the people who care about the future of this community that we need to band together as people within our community. Because if you can't say anything, Andrew, because you're just not part of that, but we can and we need to. And if we don't use our space to do this, then we're part of the problem. And I'm not going to be part yeah. of the problem because in five years, I guarantee you, mark my words, maybe even less, you're going to see a shit show beyond anything you could ever even imagine. There's going to be all these sick kids. There's going to be parents being sued. There's going to be doctors. I mean, it's going to be insane. And so I'm going to say this one more time. It is my obligate. I, I am obligated to do this. If I don't, I cannot live with myself. There's no way I'm going to watch me children being medicalized. I don't care if you're 17, 18, 9. I don't care. I care about eight, nine, 10 year olds being told that it's, oh, and their parents being forced into a space without being told the realities of all of it. So Helena, you had something to say. And, um, no, I absolutely agree. And that's why like I detransitioned three years ago, but I mm -hmm. still talk about this every single day. I can't get it out of my head. I love because you. I, think that I love you. This, <laughs> thank you. But I truly think that this is one of, this is, one of the defining issues of our moment in time yeah. because truly like children are being hurt children are That's being right. harmed even adults too like people like me i wasn't a child but i was very vulnerable That's and if right. you go on my twitter I, I can retweet it after uh this airs mm. um you can see my questions and answers with that social worker and you can see that i was you know i needed some help um and so i think that there's a lot of you know, teenagers and young adults who are very vulnerable, who are being very hurt. That's and right. And there's just right. this complete propaganda about it everywhere. While underneath it all, there's unimaginable suffering. And like Buck said, in the future, five, 10 years from now, there's going to be more unimaginable suffering That's when a right. lot of these young children grow up. 
And I've personally talked to um, on Reddit mainly some young men who are like 18 or 19 now, mm -hmm. and they were transitioned, you know, mm -hmm. seven years ago, mm -hmm. something like that. So as children, they were put on puberty blockers and then they were put on cross-sex hormones. And now they're 18 or 19. And the level, when someone like that comes to regret it and they come to look back on their life and they see that their parents manipulated them, their parents were yeah. narcissistic, their parents yeah. had Munchausen's by proxy. Yeah. When they come to have this realization of what their life has been, I can't think of anything more painful and more miserable to inflict on a human being. That's right. So. It's sick. It's, it's so like, sick. I can't sit by. You know I what? I forget about it. No, and I, I love you for it. It means a lot because there are some detransitioners who just can't handle it. And that's okay. I respect that. And I, yeah, but, I respect that. I respect yeah, I respect that. that. But but really, the fact that you understand how important your voice is, it just means so much to me as a trans person, as a person who this saved my life. And I want it to save everybody's life. What I don't want it to do is not save people's lives. And what I don't want it to do is become this this political space. We cannot yeah. be a political space. That is not okay. We are a medical condition. We are not an identity choice. We're not any of that. We are, we are, we are actual medical space that needs to be fixed. So when you start to create a space where anyone can be trans and you can self ID, that is the most hurtful thing, not only for our community, but for me, I struggled with mm -hmm. this space. It is something that actually saved yeah. my life. And I can cry about it at a, at a drop of a, of a hat because it, I am so passionately attached to my transition. And so when I see people like you getting hurt from something that saved my life, I'm like, what? How, how did we even get to, it's like forcing people to be gay. Can you imagine all of a sudden yeah. we're telling everybody, well, you're actually gay. Like what? Like you can't, you can't do that stuff. And so again, I'm going to say it again. I appreciate these platforms, Andrew and Helena, and I appreciate the fact that we have these conversations in the face of adversity. That is the most adverse space I've ever been in in my life. And I've been in a lot of adverse spaces, but I'm like, what is happening that we're being told that we can't speak? And that's why we need to speak. When you're being told not to speak, yeah. that's when you have to speak. Yeah. And I think with this issue, it's like, so many people are kind of just slightly supporting it from the outside because That's they've right. just seen kind of like the the rose colored glasses lies um, and they just don't want to be transphobic. They don't want to be bigots. Yep. They don't want kids to kill themselves. Who wants yep. that? But once you actually inform people and I encourage everyone listening to this to go um, and just do research, go look That's at what right. detransitioners have to say, go That's look right. at um, women who took Lupron for, for, mm -hmm. uh, for precocious puberty and how that affected them 10 years later. There's, right. there's like Facebook groups and stuff of women wow. who are victims of this horrible, um, wow. do your research and learn about the truth of these medical treatments. Uh -huh. Um, because uh -huh. I think most good people, once they see the truth, and That's they right. aren't affected by the media rose-colored glasses. They're going to see this for the outrage that it is. Uh, Helena, Buck, um, I am. Uh, this has been fascinating and and moving and enraging, and so provoking. <laughs> I think, I, and I do think yes. having people who have had these real experiences and speaking about them is 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 crucial, and not just simply yeah. as puppets of particular political agendas Sorry. but i would also say this you don't I, i'm a gay person right i'm not trans in the slightest mm -hmm. uh i care about gay kids that's right I, mm -hmm. I, I care about those that might be caught up in this that's right and mm -hmm. i have a i have a duty uh to yeah. worry about those kids i was totally. one of those kids and i that's am right. not as a gay person 
going to be told I should not care about gay kids are possibly being abused in this way. Uh, Even if the abuse is happening with good intentions, uh, which I think, I mean, I I want to believe is the case. But I would also say this. You don't have to be gay or lesbian or trans to have an opinion about this. (laughs) That's right. And and the the way in which these debates are being, being, being forced into tiny spaces in which you're told you have no right to speak about something if you're not that person is illiberal. It is, it is anti-democratic. It is, it is really a way to pervert and control debate rather than allowing it yes. to take That's place. Right. Now, and what's interesting is that here I've had, I've had two wonderful representatives of trans activism on here. Dana Bayer, who you may know, uh, mm-hmm. Amara Kiesling, who's also been, is just, they're both fantastic people. I love uh, her, Dana. She's awesome. Dana is just wonderful. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and over the years, I've known her. She's been a wonderful resource on this. And even yeah. though we disagree with some things. But she's, no, but she's, that's what's great about her. She lets you disagree. Exactly. I, I worked with her a couple of times. She's awesome. No, she is. She's a grown yeah. up. Yeah, <laughs> and then, then you have these figures like Chase Stranger or the ACLU, which just scream slogans at you all the time. And if you object yeah. to your hate, now they will not come on this show. They will not come on. <laughs> of course, they they're, will they're not, not even respond to emails. Nope, they're not. I am. A, I, I am yeah. not. I am beneath being right. even having an email return to say no, thank you. Oh no, they don't the, do that. The, they there just, is no you're not, interest. You're not beneath. That's you're right. You're not beneath. You're just. That's um, right on the outside and you might shine a light on what, how much they don't know and how much they're making up and how much they're bullshitting. Well, that makes my day. <laughs> because no, they won't listen to you. What you, am I doing as a writer or a thinker if I'm not challenging these that's things? That's right. And uh, you know, Chase puts all that stuff out there. And I challenged him once and I challenged the ACLU. And I said, how dare you let some guy who's a representative of the ACLU spread False information about biology. It is a shame. I, w- I will not support the ACLU anymore. And then the next week I noticed, and I don't know if it's just me, but a lot of people attacking the fact that Chase represents the ACLU and he's putting false information out there. And now if you look on his Twitter account, he doesn't have a representative ACLU. It says all opinions are my own. Well, I wish the ACLU were what the ACLU once was. They're not. They're um, not anymore. They're, they're really hostile they're not, to free speech and civil liberties in many cases. But yeah. Helena and Buck, I want to thank you. I know this takes a toll emotionally uh, to talk about these things. Yeah. I know it takes courage to be as honest and raw as you both have been. I feel for you both. Um, I, I, I care about you both, and I am incredibly grateful to have you here to talk and um and uh we'll carry on this series and (laughs) and we will we'll no doubt have feedback from this and we will air it all we promise at least everything that's rational including including people who really disagree with us Um, (laughs) (laughs) it's just a few people by the way just know that and if you want to if you want to see buck's porn videos buck angel (laughs) is out there i don't i honestly don't have the courage to do it but i encourage everybody else to (laughs) right on my friend (laughs) all right till next time (laughs) Bye. bye bye